0: at newbalance dot com on in soccer we trust. We're taking a deeper look into the country that claims to have invented the beautiful game but only have one World Cup trophy to show for it. The mighty England, who are not only favorites to win our group but also are deemed as favorites to win the whole tournament this winter in Qatar. And we're going to break down an interview that we had with US Men's National Team head coach Greg Berhalter earlier this week on CBS Sports HQ because I think you'll be intrigued by some of his uh, some of his answers, excuse me. So hit like, hit subscribe. And hit us up in the comments because it's time to get after it. Yes! What is up, everybody? And welcome to another fantastic episode of In Soccer We Trust, with your three guys who looked even more handsome when they were wearing the red, white, and blue for the U.S. Men's National Team. I'm talking about Charlie Davies, Heath Pierce, and of course, myself, Jimmy Conrad. And we're buzzing for the show today because we have a very special guest, one of our top reporters for CBS Sports, James Bench, who I call Benjamin. In honor of Kareem Benzema. He's gonna be joining us live from Ingerland, Ingerland, Ingerland. And he's gonna give us some much needed perspective on what we should expect from the three lions in seven months' time. And after that's over, we're gonna hear from US Men's national team manager Greg Berhalter, who did an interview with us earlier this week on CBS Sports HQ. And then we can all dissect what he had to say. But before we bring James Benj on, I wanna get a temperature from the guys, a little preface before the interview. Charlie, I'm gonna start with you. Should we be scared of England?
1: I, I wouldn't say scared is, is the right word. Um, they they are they're the favorites, right? So it's almost like you 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 want to rise to the challenge. These are the these are the matches that everyone dreams of. Literally, mm-hmm. you're playing against England, and you're looking at all these Premier League stars. Uh, not that Christian doesn't play against them and play with some some of them on a weekend right. a weekend right. basis, but. Um, I think if you're a US men's national team player, you are pumped. Because yeah, they're they're the the best team, one of the best teams in the world. But this is what you want to be in front of. These are the type of games you 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 train your whole life for. So I think from that perspective, it, it's almost like, man, you always want to play against Goliath. You always want to play test yourself against the best best. Here it is for the US. So scared is not the the word I'd use. I'd say, um, Opportun- opportunistic,
0: opportunistic. I like that. How about you, Heath Pierce? What would the word be for you? You had some time to think about it while Charlie had to be put on the spot.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think that, uh, we definitely shouldn't fear them, but we also should, uh, be humble in our approach to playing against them. Right. Uh, you guys both know that when you get to the highest, highest level, the details matter and the small things matter and the level between a Tyler Adams and say, uh, a Phillips or a Henderson or a, you know, whoever it might be, uh, become very small, but it becomes the consistency of those things to where, yeah, I guess the point I'm trying to say is that I think we can match up with them, Mm -hmm. but I also don't think that we should be looking at it as a game that, uh, there's, there's, if we do this, there's three points on the line. There's it's going to be a little bit of a scrap and a battle and a, a little bit needing to be tactically smart, but we shouldn't fear them. That's for sure. I don't think they're a team that we should we should fear, even though their their run of games in competitions in in uh in official competitions has been fantastic going back to the last World Cup and then the Euros. We we still have a team that I think is the most capable, I would say, in history of, of our national teams, of 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 getting something out of this game or matching up with them in a way that it wouldn't have been like a more of a a away qualifying game where it's sort of like play smart and hope to get something out of the match.
0: I'm already looking forward, and this might be crazy to say, but I'm already looking forward to Christian Pulisic versus Trent Alexander-Arnold, even though it's seven months away. And Gareth Southgate might do a Kyle Walker because we've seen Pulisic eat up Trent Alexander-Arnold before when Chelsea played Liverpool. So I wonder how that all gets played. Yeah, but But Trent uh, Alexander-Arnold can also force you to have to defend. That's true. if
2: he, uh, I, I, I remember as a fullback, Jimmy, uh, like it was always one of those things that if you can get on the front foot and attack more, the more that you force that midfielder to have to defend. And it's a little bit of that cat and mouse of like Christian Pulsic cheats up and he gets a few counterattacks. Then maybe he's forcing him to stay back more or if Trent Alexander's getting the ball high up the field and pulling our, our midfield back further, then, then we're forced to sort of respect that and, and defend more. So it's, I, I, I just saying that right now, I'm like, man, what a matchup that, uh, that could be.
0: You know what I love is that we're already dissecting this game, and it's seven months away. Well, let's bring in our special guest, James Bench, who is – well, he's here now, so I don't want to give him that much praise, but he's one of our best (laughs) reporters for CBS Sports. Praise him. James Bench, great to see you as always, my friend. My first question is England got to the semifinals in the World Cup in 2018. They got to the final of the 2020 Euros, which was actually last summer in 2021. So they're supposed to win it now, right? Semifinal. Lost, final, lost. Now they should win it, right? Isn't that the evolution of this three lions team, right? Oh yeah, absolutely.
3: (laughs) I've, you know, I've heard you all talking about not being afraid of England. Like, world football needs to be afraid of England. Everyone (laughs) should. I actually have to say, I've sketched out how they kind of get to the quarterfinals, winning the group, and I'm, I'm quite afraid as well, as an Englishman. But like, the, the progress is there. This is a, an England team that, that doesn't kind of have the the fears of years gone by, and I'm sure we'll come to talk about 2010 and the pressure and, and all that. I think almost this is an England team that, that's liberated, that enjoys being together and that has this huge strength in depth. So Jimmy and Charlie and Heath, you might be excited about Christian Pulisic against Trent Alexander-Arnold, but, you know, if we're worried about that, we'll just bring on Rhys James, one of the best defensive fullbacks <laughs> in the league. Or we could have Kieran Trippier. We could have, as you say, Kyle Walker. Mm. Hey, I mean, take our pick, honestly. You know, feel free to sc- <laughs> rummage through our right-back bin because we've got
1: some world-class yeah. right-back. We'll move him to the left, but we'll yeah. move him to the other side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: well, Benji, unfortunately, you don't get to bring all of them to the World Cup, so you're going to have a few of those those guys uh, disappointed. Unless you know you want to bring uh, five deep at the fullback position on on each side, which would we'd be happy to 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 accommodate. If that's if you want our <laughs> advice on that, great idea tactically. Uh, leave out some of your your other players, but to to, to kind of switch that conversation back to the U.S. team and going back to 2018 of again England sort of rebuilding. The national team, the 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 perception of the national team, the pride of playing for the national team again. Do you see any comparisons to 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 this U.S. side, which is extremely young, similar to to 2018 with England, and sort of uh, the potential of that as we look towards 2022, but obviously 2026 as well, or, or or do you think that depth thing that just England has is a completely different conversation? So
3: the the depth thing is. A, well, I mean, the US has debt. It, mm-hmm. it maybe just doesn't. It has a lot of players, I think, that are kind of at a similar level that are establishing themselves in the European game, but maybe is kind of still waiting for those superstars to emerge en masse. And, you know, we have to say, like, England were in that position maybe midway through last decade. And then that they have kind of come, the floodgates have opened. And, you know, you've got players like Alexander Arnold, Sancho, Saka, Foden, all those. But uh, going back to your initial point, Heath, I think what's really apparent and you, you see this even from this side of the channel is that this USMNT in seem to enjoy spending time together. You know, you hear the stories of, of Western, even when, when he's not in the squad with the squad texting and saying, you know, get the job done and, and celebrating. And I think, you know, much like England had the advantage of sort of, they were in a position to rebuild where for once there wasn't the sort of pressure on them to immediately deliver that there was with, uh, that there was with, with passing England teams. And I think it's probably fair to say that like um, with America, the, the, the level of expectation was rising quite quickly. And I, I would imagine, and you guys know this far better than me, but it was probably quite hard to keep up with that level. Whereas I think, you know, not getting to 2018, probably kind of just brought a degree of re- realism that was necessary. And then that, that allows you a bit more easily to, to overachieve and to surprise people, and you know, if if the US were to get to a quarterfinal, if they were to just lose to England two 0 I'm sure there would be parties on the streets across the nation. <laughs> Great pride at uh, 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 such a famous result as only being thumped by England. But yeah, I mean, it's I do see those similarities. Yes, for sure.
1: I, I feel like after the the 2018 World Cup, after the Euros, there's a new sense of optimism with with the. English, uh, the population just being like, Hey, this England team, actually, we feel like this is probably their best chance at winning a world cup. And when you're looking at this group and I look at the 2018, uh, semifinal lineup, I look at the starting 11, the, the Euro final, there's a lot of crossover. I mean, the experience is there. You, you touched on the depth. Do you expect any new player to emerge for, for the world cup? Let's say England do get to a, another semifinal, who's a a new player that could eventually get into that starting 11 and get into the team and then, and then make a case for the the starting 11.
3: Yeah, that's a good question. There's a, there's a couple and it's interesting what you say where there's, I think Southgate has kept a spine and and trusted a lot of players whilst also, you know, you look, we we were looking back at those players in the world before the world cup draw and you had like your Lingards and Deli alleys that now are nowhere near the squad. And then they were, you know, they were starting all the big games I think the the player I'm looking at that that we may well see starting against the US in the group stage is those big games is Jude Bellingham, who Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. still, uh, as as Gerardo says there, he he is that player that's coming up really quickly on the outside. I mean, the challenge is that, like, ahead of him, you have Declan Rice, who is up there with the best in Europe in his position. Calvin Phillips, if he's back from injury, you know, we know that he's a perfect Jesse Marsh player and Jesse Marsh we think we all think we'll get the best out of him but Bellingham can do it all Bellingham is the sort of midfielder that everyone is craving you know whoever they manage he he can play those forward passes he can win the ball back Um, he doesn't seem to have any limits to his stamina he keeps going for 90 minutes and Although he's only young, he's got such experience in the Champions League and the Bundesliga playing at top levels and has had pressure on him. You know, I think it helps when you play for your hometown team like Birmingham and they kind of have to carry the, a championship team um, at the age of 16. This is all, you know, it's a cocktail of, of greatness. The other one to maybe mention, and I think this will depend on whether Everton is still in the Premier League next year. If they're not, and if Jordan Pickford doesn't get a new club, I think Aaron Ramsdale will will start in goal Um I don't want to turn this into Arsenal chat because Heath and I could <laughs> waste the whole podcast. There but he's go. fantastic.
0: Here we go. Now, I wanted to jump in and talk about Charlie's optimism that has been seen under Gareth Southgate. And it felt like in 2018, it was more, are we good enough? And then in Ooh. 2021, it was like, we are, and we just proved it. And now it's got to take that next step and actually win something of consequence. But it seems like the English media is hearkening back to what we saw in the 2010 World Cup when we shared a World Cup group together where <laughs> everything's easy oh it's another easy group for england there's no way they can fail and we see all these headlines from across the pond about how this is going to be an easy tap dance for the three lines when i think it's going to be anything but and if we go hey, back 2014 to, shouldn't have been that hard for them either you know right? Costa that's Rica, true they Uruguay, couldn't get out of that group 2010 that. 2010 though we won the group yeah, thanks to Rob Green pushing it into the goal. But, you know, the details. We ended up winning the group. England got second. And we couldn't take advantage of that, unfortunately, uh, in the in the knockout rounds against Ghana because it was Ghana and we bogey team. But but what do you say about these headlines that come out of it? Do you think the players are humans? They're reading and seeing this stuff too. Do you think that actually works against the team because there's somewhat, I'll put air quotes around it, some arrogance with regard to to the English media and and this group? I think what's
3: tough is... It is, it is quite an easy group. Like,
0: oh my god!
2: You know what? Thanks for coming on, James. (laughs) We should have just talked (laughs) about the Ramsdale stuff. I was happy (laughs) to keep going it. But I mean,
3: well, I suppose there's this balance here. So, so the example I would give is straight after the draw, Gareth Southgate was asked, "You know, you must be quite happy with that group, aren't you?" And you could see kind of the squirming within him of like, you know, Iran usa it, more more accurately i mean you dodged germany you, you
0: didn't yeah. want germany as the pot two team and you dodged exactly. that so so in comparison to that i'm just saying the headlines could have said we didn't get germany we got a group that's a little bit more manageable but instead it's just like over the top easy uh this is a joke what and are we even doing you know that type of stuff it's just I that one extra layer that... that just pisses us off you know we're taking notes james bench we're, oh yeah we're, we're keeping notes of all this stuff
3: and i think the challenge as well is that it, it 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 ratchets the immediate expectations on the England team, and that's that's when they can feel the pressure. And you saw that at Euro twenty twenty, mm-hmm. when there was very little sympathy, having done a really professional but slightly boring job on Croatia, no sympathy whatsoever for for England being held to a nil nil draw by a good Scotland team, and I think the. the it is a group where you would feel confident getting out and topping the group, but that doesn't mean any of the actual games will be easy. You know, I'm certain that as much as I will be trolling you guys for the next seven months, I'm certain that (laughs) beating the USA will be hard. I think England will beat the USA, but they're going to have to work incredibly hard. But I think when you get a group on paper, that's like this, and whether it's Scotland, Ukraine or Wales, uh, that's the final one in the group you know, England will be expected to take nine points and they'll be expected to do it with style. And also people will be saying, you know, if, if they beat uh, it, say they beat the USA one 0 and uh, you know, Mason Mount has a quiet game. It will be, why are you not playing soccer? Why are you not playing Foden? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this can all change very quickly. And I remember as well, Southgate, when he switched to that back three against Germany and it looked so defensive on paper, he was saying in the dressing room, look, you know, this could, this could lose, I could lose my job here if this doesn't work out. So, It can all change very quickly and you know if that first game against iran is a tough one or they drop points like the usa should be going into this going the mood in the camp will switch quickly we can take advantage of that
2: yeah how how important is uh the the media and all this right because you go back to the pre-2018 there was a sort of campaign with the fa to sort of rebuild the personalities and the pride of that and then you went through this phase of 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 great because Generally, it was pretty toxic within the media of the national team. Players don't care about playing for the national team, club over country. That was an era that, that existed. And now we saw this beautiful beer showers and things like that, 2018 to the to the Euros, then to then falling short. And then it went to straight like, you know, killing these guys again. You know, it went from being like this high, high peak uh, to the backside of the mountain all the way back down. How much, like, what do you think is the right level of, I guess, uh, optimism versus arrogance versus whatever in terms of putting this team in the right position. Cause the pressures are incredible and incredibly different. We have a mm. toxic national team fan base, but like that lives in a vacuum on Twitter. Whereas like the English media can, can, can like, that can be all encompassing and all consuming <laughs> uh, for this team that one controversy or one thing or one slip up leading into a world cup could throw this team off its axis.
3: Yes. I think that's, that's very true. And obviously, you know, that, and you know I kind of see a little bit of it working for CBS that that USMNT vacuum you know we you see that 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 Twitter vacuum in the in the UK as well and actually I kind of that didn't go away in Euro 2020 even in the final you know there was very little praise for Southgate it was all about oh he's muddled up the tactics he should be playing much more expansive football and by the way when he tries that like he played a 4-3-3 with with Mount and Foden as the sort of free Three eights. It was awful. They played really badly. um So the, the challenge is that I think the back page media and England have have kind of come to a bit of an understanding. There's been like the players are more open. They're encouraged to to talk to tell their stories, and they've got brilliant stories that, that people really like sharing. But when it comes to World Cups, you know, this is front page news. It's front page news on the Sun some front page news on the tabloids and that means conversations like the one we had a few years back about Raheem Sterling's gun tattoo which does have a huge impact it kind of gets people ask questions about it it becomes a talking point you know in much the same way that you know NFL Mondays I'm sure are are like that um, in the states it is the biggest story in the world in, in the UK there is no question that the England national team will be dominating front pages. And that's really tough for the players to deal with because yeah. I think that's when it goes from us telling stories about football. And, you know, obviously I would consider myself part of the English football media. We want to tell stories about football and how well football players are doing, and sometimes how badly they're doing. But in general, we want to talk about the football. The challenges that you, you have to accept as an England international, especially come world cup time, everything you do on and off the pitch is front page news. Um, they're really open they're really honest they're good guys they're young guys that haven't maybe made a huge number of mistakes in their lives as well because they've worked so hard to get to where they are but it can be tough and like i said before if, if the atmosphere is sour early on it's something that the u.s and and whoever they play in the final game can really exploit
1: james you're the manager for the u.s men's national team what are your tactics heading heading into this game against England? Ooh, how, 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 do you, how do you break them down? That's a that is a very good question. Okay, first I think one select of the your
2: 27 players, James. <laughs> yes, exactly. <And> then, <laughs> Don't make me think the squad. <laughs> okay. All right, fine. Let's answer think, the, the question.
3: I think one of the things I would be interested in is that England say it's a back three or a back four. It is very sturdy and and rigid. And I think it like, it encourages you to throw crosses into the box. So, if I were in Greg Berhalter's position, uh, I would be kind of thinking about how can we get in behind? How can we, like, how can we not play the game England want? How can we not fall into the traps of of knocking it up to a big man? That's what England want to play you against. So I'd be looking at like a you know a Brendan Aronson playing almost as the centre forward, but, uh, you know, like a not real reference point. Because also, you have someone like Christian Pulisic who'll be kind of attacking that gap between, I would think, maybe Rhys James and Kyle Walker or Rhys James and John Stones. Like, that, I think, is potentially where you win it, is by putting pressure on those inside channels, getting the ball in behind, using a, your really strong wing-backs, Dest and, and Robinson, Can they get to the byline? Can they cut it back for your way as your Aronsons and your, your Pulisic? I wouldn't be worrying too much about trying to win the midfield battles and the individual, like the jewels. I think this is going to be about, can you hit them in the spaces in behind? That's where England are going to be relatively weak. I mean, we do still have to say this is one of the best teams in, in international football at the moment, but yeah, don't, don't play the game that England want you to play and attack.
0: I imagine you saying that and Harry Maguire starts for England. That's that's impressive. Exactly. Like, I, but, but, this, uh, but Thomas Muller did get a breakaway when he went in that back three against Germany in the Euros and he pushed it wide. And I think that ultimately kind mm-hmm. of changed uh, the whole perception of that game. And England went on and like took a deep breath. And like, all right, we got this. We, we dodged that one bullet. And I think the US could take advantage and, and potentially get opportunities. There's such fine margins at the highest levels that we're going to have to take them when they come. And I love that question, Charlie. That's fantastic. So I really feel like Gareth Southgate, the immediate thing is, oh, if we shut down Christian Pulisic, we probably have, we we're going to handcuff this US team. They don't really have anybody else that can hurt us. Yeah, McKinney, maybe Des, we've heard of these guys they are playing at some big clubs in continental Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Pulisic's the guy, we're familiar with him, mm. we shut him down. Do you think there's any players that England should also, from your perspective, that England should be afraid of based on what you've seen from the US men's national team?
3: Maybe also from the the club level as well. I think timothy weyer is the sort of direct player that that england england teams historically can really struggle with and uh you know pace down the flanks in behind whoever is playing at left back and i think that's I, i'm assuming we will be on the right guys yep. correct me if i'm mm-hmm. wrong but like that's if right. that's where he's playing the left backs are none of them are slow but if it's Chilwell or if it's Shaw, they're both middling pace wise and they're not as comfortable on the back foot, although Shaw has taken huge strides in that regard. And again, I'm, I know. I mean, I, we are, none of us really know what Southgate's going to do because he spent so long kind of experimenting with formations. But I almost think England's good defensive spot will be more down that right flank where they probably will have Walker in some capacity. And he is the key guy for, explo- you know, dealing with explosive runners in behind. So let's, let's attack on the other flank. Mm -hmm. Timothy Ware has, I I watched a lot of his work kind of in combination with Jonathan David at Lille. And I think that sort of the, having the forward that drops deep and then gives Ware space to spring in behind. I really like that. And that's how I think, you know, they'll do damage equally. And I know he's not going to kind of damage the England team as such, but someone like Tyler Adams is going to be, I think, really well suited for the task of shackling, be it Mank, be it Foden. You know, these are players that are going to kind of drift infield. That's where they want the ball, in that half space. Gotcha. About Harry more Kane, though, you, the more
2: you keep saying the Kane, these names, the more I'm getting a little bit nervous about Yeah, when Kane, matchup, when Kane drops some, into that player.
1: Yeah, Phil Foden <laughs> is on another level. I'll tell you that right yeah. now. I will tell you for the next seven months,
3: be afraid. But you do have a... <laughs> a top tier like sitting midfielder I know he can do more than that but like my assumption is based on what, what what Greg Berhalter has done that the team kind of gets built around Adams as the 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 key cog in in midfield and I think defensively he will have his work cut out but like I would be pretty confident he can he can do that work well especially if McKenney's maybe a little bit more conservative willing to drop back a bit more mm-hmm, mm-hmm is it, it, they have weapons i still think england will win
0: but they have weapons
2: yeah i mean th- th- this is the thing that i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm interested uh in, in hearing more about benji's because you know you talk about depth but we're going into this next tournament now where there's going to be some new players in the team uh i'm curious t- to know if you think that that england's close to their 11 because when you talk about the the, the op- opportunity and the depth it's it's to use it to an advantage in certain situations our only thing is like, do we have desk on or not? Because it's like, are we too offensive or defensive based mm. on who we're playing against? But we don't have a different style of playing. We tried throughout the summer to play with a back three. I think we were always better as soon as we switched back to a back four. We kind of knew our gaps better. I think we're, we, we have the personnel to be good at a back three, but we've never really validated that. So I guess, you know, my, my question is one, do you have so much talent that there is a potential for strife within the team because of? Just the fact that everybody thinks that they should be a starter in this English uh, national team, and and two, um, you know, I do you think that there's there's enough like I I guess thinking about the the I guess the question is is do you think that he's going to approach each game based on personnel on how we want to beat the other team or is there a little bit of like balance w- within the squad i guess I, I i'm not asking i'm not asking it the right way but with the national team there were times that you, you, yeah i don't know is, there,
1: is this a question, question
3: or is it like i feel like i've
0: got what well, you mean
2: is the, this like, a book
1: yeah. or a question
0: <laughs> charlie
1: England stop, he, he, just, the...
0: he gets paid by uh, by every second he talks. Yeah, yeah, I get a word, I get a,
2: a dollar a word. But like, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I've lost my train of thought now, guys. She's Louise. Vines so Bain made me can... nervous about the players that he's putting out, and Southgate, now I have no idea where I'm
0: going. bench. I think what he's trying to say is, does Southgate already have his eleven, and it doesn't matter who they're playing against, or does he is he going to adapt his eleven based on the opponent?
3: That's I think very much the second about. option. Jeez, so you Jimmy, saw that you at get, the Euros.
0: You get paid Saka, for, for less words, you know. That's <laughs> <really> expensive words.
3: <laughs> you saw that like Saka kind of didn't really play much early on. And then against teams that say had more of a rampaging left back, he would get used because Southgate trusted trusted in his uh in his uh, defensive qualities. You know, someone like Grealish as well actually had to work really hard to earn his place. I think going back to the other thing one of the things I think I might have caught Heath saying there is the possibility (laughs) that players will get frustrated that they've traveled a long way to do nothing I think when it's a winning team it's just about okay but you did get the sense with someone like Chilwell at Euro 2020 when he wasn't even getting in the squad that there was a little bit of like what am I doing here you know I'm not even traveling to Wembley for the games and I think for every national team manager that that's going to be a bit of a challenge the uh the fact that these squads might even go up to 25, I think, uh, and some players might not get to to make the journey to the game. It, it, I, th- I think he is smart enough to, uh, and this side is settled enough to be able to, to rotate a bit. I suspect this is what someone like Greg is, and you guys will know better than me again, but that he's going to be aiming to be in this position in 2026. Four years ago, England were not like that. We were just about stumbling on the back three, the Lingard and Ali as, as shuttler's all of that. And there was no alternative option. And you saw that kind of fall apart against Croatia come Euro 2021. Um, like it, there was, there was more variety. It could be a back four one week and a, and a back three the next. And I think England have got to that stage now where they can always do the best team for the best opponent. Um, Yeah, you're right. The US don't really seem to be there yet, but that takes years, especially on the international stage. You guys know how little time you spend with your teammates. If it's a settled squad, you can still build it, but it'll take time. And uh, England, very lucky that hopefully they'll be in that position come the World Cup.
1: One country that scares you in this world cup if england were matched up to them in a knockout round who who is that country that you're you're thinking man this is the one probably the one country we don't want to play brazil
3: i would say just the um they have a bit more of a winning aura i think the french so there's the i i've always kind of had a tier of four of france argentina brazil England and I feel like Brazil are probably the only one of that four that I would think would not shoot themselves in the foot like would not do something bizarre like France did against Switzerland and I know Argentina haven't done of late but Argentina have done a lot in World Cups but like Brazil feel like a team that's not going to mess it up that have the strength and quality in midfield and then in the final third that they can just dictate a game they can grind you down I would probably say a similar thing that would worry me would be if we got Spain just because they can ping the ball, tie you out. Um, I know it's not going to be, um, I know it's not, not going to be the summer in Qatar, but. Uh... <laughs> winter in Qatar I think will still be hot enough that a lot of English people possibly myself included if I'm lucky enough to go will be walking around going, God it's too hot we can't play football like this. <laughs> that's always my worry uh, uh, that's always our worry at every World Cup like is it going to be too hot for our English footballers uh, by, so, by
2: December it might might be okay but like start at November you're still you might yeah. still be hitting hitting the uh, you know 90 I really don't you know, want to get Spain on like
3: yeah. Pedri and, and Gavi and that lot just passing rings around us and Harry Kane would just look so leaden-footed. I can see, see that in my mind. <laughs> that might happen anyway, so we'll it. have to wait
0: and see. But Oh, yeah, definitely. But, but Bench, because we have one team in the group yet to be decided, who do you think England would prefer to face? Because obviously there's going to be some natural rivalries with, with Scotland and with Wales. And then obviously if Ukraine does somehow get to play that game and get through both of those teams, they're going to be the team of the world. Everybody's going to want to see Ukraine do very well in this tournament. So you have a really emotional heft. Playing against Ukraine, who does England want to play, or maybe who does England want to avoid ultimately?
3: Yeah, I think England would still want to play Ukraine despite everything you're saying. I mean, one, they had a fantastic result against them at the Euros, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but also like the team of the world's one thing, but like the, the next door neighbors, I just don't need that. Uh, you know, Gareth Southgate will be thinking it was Scotland played one of the best 90 minutes they've played in a very long time to get a nil nil draw at the Euros. Um, Four or five years before Wales pushed England almightily close, you can just see Gareth Bale kind of going into full-blown like Terminator mode, <laughs> full, suddenly returning to one hundred percent fitness like he's never been, and Florentino Perez's blood is boiling as he plays the the game of his life. So, as much as you know, England would have to be the the baddies of the world if they were playing against Ukraine I think that's a role that kind of naturally fits English people quite
2: well isn't it <laughs> yeah. we even have. even Harry Maguire scored that day so like <laughs> what a what a day
3: uh, we could have like Jeremy Irons deliver the team and <laughs> all of our Hollywood baddies warming up to yeah just play the the role of spoiler yeah I th- I think Ukraine all
0: right. The that's a full choice. Cheap. I wasn't expecting that, but uh, I respect it. Well, well, also, Bench- I was in
3: I, I was in London when England played Scotland and like I was oh, actually I was there the day after. I was just you're walking through a sea of bottles. I don't want that.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, no, no, that's fair. Well, we appreciate your time, James Bench. Appreciate you coming on. One last question before we let you go. You can follow him at James Bench on Twitter. He's a great follow on the Twitter. How far do you think England's gonna get in this World Cup? I think they're gonna win it. Oh my god. Mm, you know what? Mm. You already drunk. you can't. You listen. If you're going to be a guest it's, on our show, you the can't 8th be drunk when you it's come the on 8th of April. It's the 8th of April. Yeah. And Jesus, please. We have, we already have Junk James Bench on the show. James it. Bench, everybody. Appreciate your time. I can't what wait to guy. see your tears. I can't wait to see your tears once that actually does that. Mm happen. But James Benj, everybody, one of the top reporters we have at CBS Sports to see him on AHQ. I love it. Go to cbssports.com. Now turn over Ramsdale at Arsenal. Let's yeah, go. He's yeah, going to yeah, be the yeah, starter. We'll You're going to have He's not even going to make the roster. Let's go. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we got some comments. We got to interview Greg Berhalter earlier this week. We're going to get into what he had to say after some very good questions by yours truly over here, and mm. we'll break down anything else you want to talk about in the comments right after this.
4: The will not stop there is something within us something sacred something worth protecting
1: silver team,
4: on me
0: Welcome back, everyone, to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad, alongside Charlie Davies and Hollywood Heath Pierce. Now, before we take some steps further and dissect some of the comments made by the very confident Mm -hmm. James Benj, I want to let everybody know that the 2022 Masters is underway. Tiger Woods absolutely crushing it, looking like his old self. And the First Cut Golf Podcast has you covered with round-by-round coverage after every tournament day. Yes, Rick Gaiman Kyle Porter and the First Cut crew are breaking down the odds board every night and bringing you analysis from the grounds of Augusta National. So go join the First Cut golf podcast available wherever you're listening to this podcast. All right, Heath, I'm coming to you first. Well, James I, I, th- Bench. I, I
2: thought you guys were gonna apologize to me for the bullying earlier I thought that's I I, I didn't know you were, were gonna go into us? To, to, yeah the golf I didn't know we were gonna go into the golf at I thought oh, before we go oh, further I want you guys to oh, apologize to me for, s- for the internet he, bullying you know I'm not good with, you know I'm not good with words and you know I'm not good with questions okay and, you know I, I just lucked out and somehow got on this show you know? so I, I,
0: I you lost me after apologies <laughs> Charlie I'm coming to you first oh, talk to me about James Bench's comments That's yours. oh man he, he's like matching the the media over in England he, he really they think he, to go on and win it i mean they're gonna cry real tears it's not coming home i can guarantee
1: you that he was absolutely glowing and you could tell (laughs) there was just this this confidence about the english team they they legit think they're gonna win i mean they're they're one of the contenders for sure they're one of the favorites but i believe if you're 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 in england you think man we have a special group we have depth we have we have experience most of our players are in their prime and we have a, another core of young group uh, young group of players who are coming through who are performing he alluded to Jude Bellingham that they they have this quiet optimism that they they're going to win the world cup and they really believe that and you could see like it wasn't there there wasn't a, a cockiness to it, but there was a very yeah, strong confidence to, there was, there was like, a, a, there was a Britishness to it, you know, there was, yeah. A, uh, <laughs> there, there was a, yeah, we got, we got, uh, yeah, I think we're going to, we're going to, is it, it not we we a little a bit alarming? Do, Heath.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that was my thing. Is it, is it not a little bit alarming for us as us fans? And we're going to talk to, we're going to talk to, we could talk to all three. We could talk to Wales, Scotland and Ukraine, who are all going to say, this is a good group. Is yeah, that not a little bit alarming It is that we all like lack our respect. chances? Yeah, uh, they yeah, lack yeah. respect for the U.S. and maybe we can harness that and channel that. But I think it, no. It's not alarming? You like that? No.
1: Well, you have to think where we, we're coming from. This isn't, yeah. this isn't the 2010 group or t- 2002 or 2006. This is a group that is coming off the back of failing to, mm-hmm. to qualify for a World Cup. Mm-hmm. You have a first-time international coach. You have a group of where the average age is 23. Mm-hmm. The international experience is almost nil, and you have a you yeah you your first World Cup qualifying campaign that didn't really go all that smooth. I mean, towards the end it started to get better, and and you still finished third right in the group.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just what do to...
1: you expect? I mean, this isn't no, this no, isn't the, the the U.S. where. We are finishing you know, second in the, the Confederations Cup. We got to a quarterfinals in 2002. Damn, Charlie
2: really does I, hate this national team. I, I'm really? expecting no, a little I'm, more I'm humility just, from I'm our opponents. I'm just being real. Just real. Be. Yeah. I, so is there
0: something, though, Heath, is there something with regard to, when you look at England, Southgate has tremendous problems because mm-hmm. he has so much talent to choose from. The yeah. big question for him is where does he put all the pieces, right? He's got a puzzle, and, and it's already been shown. Benji even talked about it they went to what a four-three-three, or they played a formation where they had Foden and Sokka both inside and it just didn't work. It didn't, it didn't feel right to them. And, and so, I don't know if it's going to be that easy for them. I think they know that deep down it's not going to be easy. I just think that they just don't know any different than this British arrogance. <laughs> yeah, I, I
2: mean, it, this is the thing: is like when I look at when I look at England's just qualification run to the World Cup, right? I mean, they had Albania, they had Hungary, they had Andorra, they had San Marino. Mm. I mean, it wasn't exactly like the. Now, granted, it's an extremely difficult way to qualify because you got to finish up the top, or you got to go through through uh, a through a playoff. And they had they had uh, Poland in there, kind of nipping at their heels for for a, a lot of the way. Uh, but I guess the point I'm trying to make with that is they were able to rotate the squad and test and tinker and stuff. The World Cup is different.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Playing against U.S. is not playing against San Marino or playing against Poland in a World Cup qualifier. It is no longer a campaign over ten games. It is it is one it is one off. And now you've got to dial that in. Same for the U.S. But England has a, a much bigger problem of trying to dial in fifty players into twenty three and then 23 into an 11 that are going to be best suited to play and fight together. Because ultimately, it, it's I just think it's unrealistic to think all these players don't ultimately dial down to egos and their ego meaning meaning more than the team at a certain point. They come from club backgrounds. They make a ton of money. They're celebrity. They're superstars. They're world-class yeah, players. Right. They need to be able to dial that in. Now, they did that at the World Cup with a young team with low experience. Then they had more experience going to the Euros, and they did that in, in what I would call successful campaigns Generally speaking, maybe not going as far as they want in, in both of those or winning, but to now go into a World Cup where now the mounted pressure, right? If you're an England fan or you're an England player, those were failures to get to the to the to 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 win, and that's England's yeah. goal is to win, and I think that's a fragile thing. We saw that with France when they had the momentum in mm-hmm, past World mm-hmm. Cups. That failure to win is a mounting pressure, and so I think that they're the, to put together a team that's going to be best, most well equipped to 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 win games. As a team versus individuals, they can win with individuals through qualifying, no problem. But this is where I I agree with you that they're, it's a it's a massive challenge to put out your best team throughout a tournament and, and win it. Having said that, they've still got so a So
0: what world. do you think, Charlie, that England is going to finish? Well, you obviously know Ben just coming with with some hope and, and a ton mm-hmm. of confidence given this easy group. With I'm putting air quotes around that for people that can't see me. Well, what, what do you think? Because they have to cross over and play either Senegal or Netherlands if Group mm-hmm. A kind of plays out the way that we think it will. And those aren't going to be either ga- easy games, either one of those no. opponents.
1: I mean, the Netherlands beat them in the Nations League. So uh, if you're looking at teams that could, could give England problem, problem, any, any top country will, will pose a threat to them. But I do think they'll get to a semifinal. I think this group, when you're looking at Harry Kane, who's going to be leading the line, and I think part of, of, of James' uh, humor in the sense we're talking about Christian Pulisic is you're bringing up Christian – who it feels like is a 50% starter at Chelsea, right? Mm-hmm. You look at their lineup, and it's Harry Kane, who Manchester City offered $100 million for in his golden boot winner. You have Mason Mount, who starts more than uh, Christian, Christian at Chelsea. Yeah. You have Raheem Sterling, who starts 80%, mm-hmm. 90% at Manchester City. Uh, then you have John Stones in the back. But Harry- Sterling's
2: gone through a lot of ebb and flow this year, too. Like, he started... First half of the season, pretty, pretty, pretty poorly uh, in terms of like output. He, right, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, but but I mean, he,
1: he, he, regardless, he's playing. Like you know, he's a he's yeah. he's a player, and he started in the World Cup 2018 semifinal versus Croatia, and he started in the Euro uh, final against Italy. Then mm-hmm. you have still have Phil Foden, you have Jude Bellingham, who who is arguably, uh, uh, obviously ahead of Gio Reyna in in the pecking scale at Dortmund. So all of our players that we're saying, hey. They, He's like, come on now. We have players who are who are playing every single match and who are much bigger than quote unquote your players. And I think that's part of the whole England looking down at the US being like, you guys are are little, you know, you guys are you guys aren't there yet, which plays to our advantage because over the next six months, mm-hmm. our guys are still developing and still getting there. We might have some new guys who are emerging in Europe who Maybe have found finally found themselves in a good spot, a new coach, or maybe a, they've taken their opportunity, the experience. So I'm, I'm looking at this like, this U, current U.S. group obviously has a lot to still to 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 prove, and and hopefully maybe some of them make a move to continue to progress and and be more of a threat. But if in, in 2010 you would have said the same thing when mm-hmm. we tied them 1-1 in the group, so I, I like our chances given that uh, did- I think everyone's kind of like, mm, it's not a very strong group.
2: Jimmy Jimmy I got a question for you. With Benja's answer on on Scotland and wanting Ukraine to go through, does it change who you would want to go through knowing that it makes a lot of sense like a, a local rivalry is a really hard one because it's an any given Sunday type of thing, right? There is there's yeah. larger factors at play than than how you match up against the team because it's it's cultural, it's historical, it's yeah. all those things. Would you does that make you say Scotland uh, uh, that you would want them to go through or do you still think that you know well, oh.
0: I think Wales will ultimately go through. I still don't think the Scotland Ukraine's game is going to happen. I think Wales just a little bit better than Scotland at the moment, despite the improvement that they Scotland have made under Steve Clark. But if, if Scotland gets through, the one thing that Ben didn't bring up is that that would be the third game for them in the group, and I think a lot will already be decided. Mm-hmm. But if that comes down, and England needs points in that last game, playing against the local rival. That could get really, really. And England tight. goes in on four points
2: into that last game, uh, right? Yeah, if I they, know if we get we we're gonna at least get a draw against them, right, guys? High five on no, that, and, and then <laughs> high five. They're gonna they're gonna beat Iran, so Iran's gonna be, uh, you know, in in a bad place. Uh, it's, it's interesting. So, uh, <laughs> the whole thing's
0: really interesting. I, I think it's I think it could come down to that
2: last match day for for a couple teams but, in our. By the way, on, this team they play against in- they play against Germany twice. They play against Italy twice in the Nations League and they play against Hungary twice. When we talked about the U.S. and what they, who they need to play against going into the World Cup, those are games of actual official games and they're playing them in the Nations yeah, League yeah. and those are really... Big opponents over, uh, you know, a large window. It's not like they're playing those back no, to sure, back. But they're sure. getting a tune up with Italy. They're getting a tune up with, and I, but I, those you games,
0: know, I, they can't tinker as much. At least we get some friendlies where we could potentially try something. I think there's some value in that. But to your point, yes, probably that a little helps bit, to solve his problems. Though, of like than not tinker, not oh, sure. tinkering,
2: you're getting closer to your eleven. I think, which is, yeah. which is, uh, it's a different solution you're looking for. It's a different thing that you get to focus on. Um, whereas, uh, you know, we're we're, we're still.
1: And we're just and uh, I, I would I'd also add. If they have to play Ukraine, I know he said, Yeah, we'd love to play Ukraine. No, you wouldn't, because that means they would have beaten Scotland, they would have beaten Wales. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're they're playing with a whole nother level than when you beat them 4-0 in the Euros. Yeah, 100%. It, it wouldn't be the same at all. I no. would I would always want to play Scotland, who is who are the worst of the three uh countries.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you on that. And actually, let's put a button on this England stuff. I found uh England's potential knockout stage opponents. Just, so, just to extrapolate their potential run. And mm-hmm. we can just kind of laugh at how hard this is going to be for them if they think they're going to win the World Cup. If they win the group, as they expect to do, they're probably going to play Netherlands or Senegal. okay? And if they win that round of 16 matchup, they would come up against the winners of Group D, which is most likely France. Mm-hmm. And, and let's say France loses, though. the runners, It would be the runner-up from Group C, which is Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Poland, mm. and Mexico. I think we think France will get through there. So Fran- they'd play France in the quarterfinals from there semifinal encounter would see them draw the winner of Bel- belgium versus portugal assuming that everything kind of plays out you know with the best teams winning yeah. and, and progressing which doesn't always happen so they might get fortunate with a with a good draw but but it looks like belgium or portugal would be who they'd face in the semis and then the final could be any one of argentina brazil germany or the netherlands mm. but I think the Netherlands will be out at that point, so I think it's I think it'll be Brazil who they're going to see in the final. Brazil or something special.
2: I mean, that was the beauty of 2002, right? Of what we did was uh, the US going into those games is we kind of got a favorable. Yeah, you got Portugal in in, in the group, but you got Korea, you got Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like, there is so much to a winning. It is completely different, right? Eventually, winning it by the semifinals or even the quarterfinals, you're going to have to you're going to have to knock down giants all the way to, right. to get there. But for for the US at advancement, a lot of that is contingent on on like you know your pathway to to advance advancement. And then your group, right? Group of death changes the dynamic of everything. Um yeah. and so yeah. that's a really hard
0: that's uh, a hard path. And, yeah. and and if US win the group, that's the same path the US would have yeah. to do it or navigate a similar mm-hmm. minefield as you get into the knockout rounds. But that's what we want this group to have. We want us to have those opportunities because I think we're all hopefully mature enough as a U.S. men's national team fan base to know that this is really getting the experience for us to have a really special run when we host the World Cup in 2026. And speaking of our U.S. men's national team, let's get the focus back on them. I had a chance to interview Greg Berhalter this past week on CBS Sports HQ, and we have a couple topics that he discussed. uh, And the first one that that we're going to hear an answer from, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think about these comments, is about playing time and playing time at at your club and, and how important that is or how big of an issue it is for the U.S. men's national team. Let's see what Greg had to say about that. Question, though, with regard to the summer because there's a chance for some of our players to make moves to different clubs. Do you have any conversations with, let's just say a Tyler Adams, if he's not getting a lot of playing time with RB Leipzig and maybe trying to help him make a move somewhere else where he would get more playing time or how much, how involved do you get with those types of decisions for the players?
4: Well, I'm here to listen to the players and, and hear what, what they're thinking and offer any advice that, that I can give. Um, you know, I, we support our players and we, we want them to be in position to be on the field and be in a place where they can continue to continue to develop. You know, they, as we mentioned, they still are very young and in the development, um, years of their career. So it's important that they're playing and they're important that they're in a, in a place where they continue to get better. And, um, you know, so we'll, we will have conversations with guys, and as they reach out to us. But overall, you know, it, it's a tricky thing, right? Because you think about having to adapt potentially to a new club and taking that time period. So it, it's not easy to to tell guys or or if guys are making moves because we know there's an adaption period that that needs to take place.
0: Now, Charlie, I'm going to come to you first on this, and I appreciate uh, how candid Greg was throughout this interview with all of us at HQ. Tyler Adams situation actually really scares me because mm-hmm. he's not playing. He's not being counted on as the guy in the middle of the field for RB Leipzig. Now that's a challenge. That's a good challenge. And that's why we want our players to go over to Europe to have that, right. To have to cut their teeth and be at their best every single day. Cause that ultimately in theory should help them be at their best when they're playing for the U S men's national team. But if they're not playing and Tyler Adams could fall into this category, we could have a really frustrated, very, uh, I say insecure, that's not the right word, but just not very confident Tyler Adams going into the World Cup. We'll use him as an example, but there are plenty of other players that might be in similar situations. What do you say about what Greg had to say there?
1: I think Tyler, like like many Americans who are playing in Europe, um, you, you, you fall into the category of you got injured. The guy who came in to take your place has played well, and he's not coming off. Right, mm-hmm. and and I think for for Tyler, that's the the unfortunate situation he's in, because my man was playing; he was a star and he was scoring goals in Champions League. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had clubs like Arsenal um, talking about their interest in him, but all of a sudden, you know, like we all know, things can change very fast, and for good or or for worse. And I think in in his situation, maybe it's a all Do right. You think
0: he, did you think he should make a move then? Like if he's not going to be the guy for for Domenico Tedesco, the new coach for RB Leipzig, and he gets that information over the summer, do you think, like, oh, shit, you know? And would Greg Berhalter hop in? And he kind of said that he'll he'll be there as a sounding board, but not necessarily influence right. anything that you want to do because of that adaptation period where you have to now, say, say let's say Tyler Adams goes to Leeds and joins Jesse Marsh. Even there, you got a new league. Everything's a new setup, new teammates. Mm-hmm. It's just not that easy. Like everything's just going to be rainbows and puppy dogs and Skittles or whatever. I don't know.
1: No, you, you, you make the decision in the summer, depending on a meeting with the coach, meeting with the sporting director, what's my plan. Am I going to be the starter again? Do I, you know, mm-hmm. do I, am I always going to be seen as second choice to him unless he gets injured and then I have to win my place back based on that conversation. That's when you would make your move because if it is more or less, more or less of the same, then you you gotta you gotta make a move because you have to be playing before the World Cup.
0: Yeah, so that's the tricky balance, Heath. Because let's take Christian Pulisic for example. As as Charlie correctly stated, he's a fifty percent starter, right? He's not he's not playing as much as we'd all hope and like, and that limits his influence. If you can't get a run of games, when we saw him get a run of games and he was feeling good about himself, all of a sudden the guy's got his shoulders up, he's ready to go, he's got a big smile on his face. But when he's in and out of the lineup, or if he's getting those niggling injuries. It just slows down his confidence in particular and of any player that we need to be at full confidence going into a World Cup. It's Christian Pulisic. So what do you do? Would you advise him to go as a 50% starter and stay with Chelsea? Or do you say, hey, you can maybe go to X club and get 80% of the starts, but there's a chance that you might not. It might just take you a while to kind of get into the flow and rhythm of that particular team or that particular league. Yeah, the Christian Pulisic one is is a little bit complicated just because of
2: the cost that it would take probably limits the club that could buy him. And now who knows what happens with the Chelsea situation in terms of players being able to leave and what that does for mm-hmm. valuations and things like yeah. that. That could be that could be something advantageous for 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 Christian Pulisic. But I would certainly be shopping around for the next situation for him. I think we know enough to know that Christian Pulisic will never be the full-time starter at Chelsea. I think we've seen it. He's been healthy for periods and then he's not healthy. And maybe that's going to be the case for him everywhere because, because of injury concerns. But I think Chelsea has shown, I think Thomas Tuchel has shown, you are a very valuable part of my plans. But you are going to be in two, out two, in three, out for four, you know, and you'll play in those four, but you're not going to be. I think they have enough depth that you lose in Champions League. Maybe you don't start the next game and you're going to go with something different because Tuchel's constantly tinkering mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. The Lukaku situation, who's the striker constantly looking for the right 11? This part point in the season, as long as Tuchel's there, I think he's he he needs to find the, the right next club. I don't think there's a lot out there that I like Christian Polisic at, but I would certainly be shopping uh or having my agent or representative shopping me into those windows to see where a better long-term solution is. I'm I'm literally like thinking out loud, right in my mind, not out loud, I'm thinking in my mind like where that could be, whether it's a Roma or know, whoever it's, it could it's be. It's, it's, it's tough to know where that club could be because he's not. Eighteen-year-old uh, Giorena anymore, right? He's he is a little bit. He's not well older, but he's a, he's a little more established. To where mm-hmm. I wouldn't want him to go back to a Dortmund or something like that. I want him to be at a bigger club, challenging himself. But at the same time, it's a very crucial window of it development is. It's, for it's him. A- It's a crazy window. It's a crazy window.
0: And it's not just for our players. This is an isolated, the men's national team. It's also for all the other players that are trying to break in and, and trying to win over their national team coaches, especially the ones on the fringes of the bubbles. And this, this, this summer is really interesting. And this is what makes the winter world cup pretty intriguing overall. But that was the only question I asked Greg Berhalter. The other question I had coming up, this is about the expanded rosters and and some of the choices that he gets to make now that this could potentially happen. And I hope that it does from from 23 players to 26. Let's take a look at this talk that they might expand the rosters from 23 to 27, which could make your life a little bit easier when you get down to selecting the guys, especially the ones on the bubble. How much room are you leaving for this particular group in case somebody does emerge and starts playing really well over the next six months? Cameron Carter-Vickers just scored for Celtic and the old firm. You have uh, Georgi Mihailovic playing very well for Montreal right now. Guys that have been on the radar but still somewhat in the peripheral, not really in the core. How do you manage that going forward? Because we've seen names in the past, Hercules Gomez, Edson Buttle, Robbie Finley, who made a 2010 World Cup team, when they really weren't part of the pitcher at all during qualifying.
4: Yeah, and you know what those those three players all have in common, Jimmy, is they're all forwards, right? What's that? So, yeah, <laughs> no, they're all forwards. So, they were on a hot streak, so they're like, oh, "Let's try to capitalize on this." No, what, you know, the way we work is we're open. We're open to to giving players opportunities, and and that will that will be mm-hmm. true for the World Cup as well. Nothing's set in stone. um Players have to earn their position on the team, and and and, and they need to play well to keep their position on the team, and. You know, the guys that you mentioned, like Georgie and, and Cameron Carter, they, they've been in camp before, and we, we've seen them a number of times, mm-hmm. but we'll continue to evaluate everyone. And, you know, hopefully the rosters will get expanded. I, I'm hearing the numbers 26, um, and that just gives everyone flexibility. If you think about the roster now, it's 23 players. Um, in that 23 are three goalkeepers. So you basically have double, you're double set in every position. And with 26 players, it mm-hmm. gives you the freedom to add a player in each line. You can add if, if you so choose. So it, gi- it just gives you more flexibility. Right. And we, we would welcome that and look look forward to to working with a bigger roster.
0: Interesting. Charlie, I'll come to you. What do you think of my question? I thought it was pretty sound. Uh, what did you think about Greg? It was Greg sound. Just- uh, answer to that
2: uh, uh, by the way uh, is it is it only jimmy's questions that were good is or did jimmy just cut no we have his own another one we have one more sure. and it's gonna come uh, from me enjoy like, it's gonna come from me Joy. Please jimmy but, but <laughs> I, know, I had the jimmy I had, conrad show i
0: had a couple layered <laughs> and jimmy layered we trust there. is
2: what this should be called
0: <laughs> 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 so charlie what do you what do you think about his answer do you do you like the expanded roster i'm a fan of it because i do think it allows us as greg said to add a player in each line of the field uh what are your thoughts on on what greg said
1: I, I think the expanded roster is a great idea just given the, the the current global situation, you know, with, with everything that's gone on in the past two years. And, and there's, I think a, a been a pickup in injuries. I just think it makes sense. Um, but with, with what Greg said, I think he's looking at it in an intelligent manner. It, it's, it's very smart to say, Hey, we can add one player per line and, and you know, have cover for, whether it's a, and we talk about players who can uh, give you that value, value versus uh, for for flexibility. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at it at a team, uh, a player who can play in the midfield, who can play in the striker, can play a winger, and has has kind of come on the scene a, as of late, that's going to be a, a very valuable choice for the team, and something that I think the the U.S. could benefit from. So you could be player number 26 and still play a vital role in this World Cup.
0: You know what's I was, interesting? I was, sorry, oh, go ahead. no, Heath. I just wanted to say that that if it expands, we were all in this situation before, where we we're trying to make a World Cup roster. If it went from twenty three to twenty six, you'd be kind of like, "Oh shit, I, I might have a ch- I might have a chance here. I just yeah. got to play well for the next six six or seven months." <laughs> uh, you know, this now starts to open up the possibility of bringing in uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers or Georgi Mihailovic, uh, amongst other players that are up. Joe Scally, obviously, is, is a popular name with our fan base. You, you know. But, but I feel like those three players in particular have to be very good team guys. And if they don't have that quality to them, or if they're always kind of in their own feelings, if they don't start or don't play and it becomes a negative around the locker room, it's, it's really, really interesting. Those those players that kind of get picked because I, 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 I knew that I had to be a good locker room guy. Otherwise I wasn't going to make the team. That's just kind of my perspective. But, but what what do you say about all this? Yeah, I, I, it, it's interesting. I mean, obviously,
2: twenty six makes more than makes more sense than than twenty three. Just like five subs makes more sense than yeah, three yeah, subs. If yeah. you're a coach or a manager and you look at the miles and the fact that you know the, these are valuable commodities at the club level and international level, everybody's going to want to protect them as much as possible. Playing devil's advocate within all this, though, is we talked about the criticisms of Greg Berhalter changing his lineup. Now you add three more players to your depth. And it certainly starts to put you in this category of I've got more to tinker with and more to work with. And I have more more temptation to move away from a traditional I'm going to have 11. Maybe you change two or three based on the opponent or or or, um, you know, workload and those types of things to now having more depth because you're not going to bring them unless you see them as 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 assets. Now, sure. And and I think actually um, Rob Stone said it on on during the the um, when they were doing all of the you know, I don't know the word for for the draw. Uh, they, when they were doing that, he was like, "Yeah, but when you get to 26, now you're just dealing with the next set of of like uh, cuts, right? You're mm-hmm. you're dealing with a new round of who's 20, who's 24, who's 25, who's 26 of the 30 or of the 32 players in terms of where you at? Greg Berhalter obviously mentioned there. You could add one in every line and then quickly dial the back, saying, "If you so choose, uh, but <laughs> but it, it it changes the dynamic of 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 your team." because now you've got some different assets right you talked to Jimmy you asked the question you mentioned Hercules Gomez and and Edson Buddle and and that being strikers but it changes the dynamic of who you can use and where uh in these games i like it but i, I wonder does it actually are we deep enough for it to actually add it, add a value or is or is it about depth because both teams have used most of their players in a world cup
1: by the And, end my, and, and mind you the only reason those those three players were were named this is because a certain striker wasn't available anymore. Mm-hmm. So yes. if there is an in an Charlie
0: wagon, Davies, everybody, yes,
1: I, I
2: just how does Charlie wake up every day, by the way, knowing that our weakest point in the national team is a striker? You know, yeah, uh, knowing hard. that, like, what have you done for the game, Charlie, to make sure that those strikers are developing? Because our back <laughs> line
0: back lines look real sexy, yeah, right now, you know, you know? that's on the hard work of Jimmy Charlie. and I, yeah. all right, all right. Well, that wasn't the only question. This was the last one we got uh, from Greg Burhalter. and it was from our very own Ian Joy at CBS Sports HQ. And he asked Greg about the captaincy because we've been handing out that armband to a couple different people during qualifying. Let's see what Greg had to say
4: talk about the captaincy before we let you go. Obviously yeah. there is uh, two or three players who have been sharing the armband. You've had Tyler, you've had Christian, you've had Walker, who have, who's had the armband in big games. Will we see that in the World Cup as well, or do you expect to pick one captain to lead your nation all the way through the World Cup? You know, we have a leadership council, so we have five guys or six guys that are part of the leadership council in each camp. Some of them are on the field playing, some of them don't get on the field to play, but they're really important in, in helping us make decisions, helping the staff make decisions, and and just being um you know a player's voice for what happens within the team. And we hold them accountable and they're they're responsible, responsible players. Um i I would probably talk to them and, and see where where take their temperature on it because you know for me it's 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 important that the players are accountable and that the players take responsibility and it's working well in this fashion. Um, I'm not sure we need to change it, but it'd be interesting to hear what what they think about it.
0: I feel like he's passing the buck there, Charlie. I'm going to come to you first. This leadership council is interesting. I don't remember that, uh, really existing or at least being named, you know, you, when I was with the 2016, you knew it was pretty much Claudio Reyna and Eddie Pope. And sounds, Casey a like a sounds a lot and like a council. Sounds a lot. It does. Counsel, it does. But it wasn't. Like, it wasn't framed in that way. You just kind of knew that he asked some of the older guys that have been around their thoughts, and they were all captain-like material. And and Claudio obviously represented us in the World Cup in 2006 with the captain's armband. Charlie, I'm going to come to you on on this. Uh, I feel like there should be one set captain. That's that's. It, it just helps to have one leader to defer to, especially in in high pressure situations on the field. And when you start handing that around, I don't know. It just—it's not a distraction, but it just doesn't feel traditional. I don't—that's the best way I can say it.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think this group is unique in the sense. Of, again, it's—it's it's all young players, mm-hmm. and so he's trying to empower each one. And and you know, I think the if you're looking at it from behind the scenes, Greg is saying, "How do I get some of these the the leadership qualities out of each player, and maybe help them develop those mm-hmm. leadership qualities." I think creating this this council gives everyone a little feel like they're a little bit more a part of it than than you normally would be if you were just going to a camp or or play playing for your national team. You feel like you're you're a part of making these these calls and judgments in camps, and you're you're giving your your thoughts and and you're being heard. I think it's it's a great. I think he's done a great job in in the sense of I gotta figure out the best way to get all my guys involved and, and feel like they're part of this thing. And so if I got to give five captain armbands away in a camp or three, whatever it is, then, then so be it. I do think eventually they're going to get to one. And if I had to pick right now, I think Tyler Adams is that one guy because he just, he's the engine of, 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 of the squad. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you you look at Zach Steffen, who's had it, you know, Christian Pulisic, Walker Zimmerman, um, you know,
2: Johnny Bornstein.
1: <laughs> you, you, you you could make a case for a lot of them. You could even make a case for Weston McKinney, given given the this, the fact that he had uh, you know that one uh, I think lapse of of judgment has come, <laughs> has come back and and has felt like, man, I'm I'm now I'm here to prove prove my case. I I wasn't ready for I, the Johnny shout. Wait, wait, what I, I
0: would it? say? No, let me just add something real
2: quick. Jesse, I think this is a very uh, becoming a more common thing with young players now. Jesse Marsh had. And uh, Dax McCarty told me about this, that Jesse Marsh had a leadership council at New York Red Bulls where it wasn't so much, you know, you've been in like the, the inner circle, Jimmy, you and I both had that with Robin Frazier at, at at Chivas where you're sort of called upon to help sort of deliver messages and guide the team. But the way that I'm hearing about them, uh, these leadership councils are, are more that they, they're actually asking these players to be more critical of themselves and the players around them and to speak openly about the staff from a criticism standpoint, almost Less so of a, a power dynamic where it's like, you know, uh, leader subordinate, but more so like equals at times where you can have open and honest dialogue as opposed to it always being this wall between player and and staff, which can sometimes
0: become very, very distant and, and, and more toxic than it could be uniting. For sure. And there's a good question here from from Kai and a uh, longtime follower. Appreciate you, Kai, and all your support. He says, who's on the leadership council that doesn't play? That's a good question because you're obviously going to get maybe more of a jaded perspective if you're not playing regularly. Zach about... Steffen, uh, when he wasn't. Yeah, I, mean, I guess Zach Steffen could probably be on it. It's 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 interesting to me the leadership council. And you made a Jonathan Bornstein joke that I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> but but uh, I was kind of wondering what the leadership council was under Bob Bradley. I assume it was just Michael. So, so that's that's my bad joke for today.
2: No, wasn't Bornstein captain when you got sent off in that game? Wasn't he captain for the rest of that game? Uh, I think he was.
0: No, I gave it to Benny Philhaber. Benny Philhaber.
1: Okay, the so Bocanegra. Was,
2: Bocanegra. Oh, Bocanegra. so it was the El Salvador and Tampa one that I think Johnny was. It was it was against uh, somebody. I, I yeah I guess
0: I yeah. But no, Bocanegra obviously ended up being a, the the trusted lieutenant for Bob Robert,
1: Howard. You, t- you know, Timmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But that was my bad joke. Thanks for humoring me there, everybody. <laughs> but I don't know. I wonder if there's any players that don't play a lot that Air, are on Air, the
1: Aaron Long probably would be it mm, fit yeah. that bill because he he was someone who was dependent on early and he got the injury. I bet you he is on that leadership council um, given that he's not playing.
0: Yeah, that's, there's a lot to unpack there. And thankfully, again, we have plenty of time to, <laughs> to get there. And hopefully we'll get Greg on the show a little bit more. Hopefully he can extrapolate. Because it felt like in that answer, he was dodging that a little bit. So maybe we can lean into him when we have a little bit more time to spend with him. But shout out to HQ for uh, getting us that footage. is very, very cool. But this is the show, everybody. And Soccer mm-hmm. We Trust has come to an end for this particular episode. We took a deep dive on England. We got some great insight and audio from u.s men's national team head coach greg berhalter which means it's time for final thoughts i think charlie went with you yesterday first i'm going with yeah here's this time around with final thoughts about what you heard about england anything that greg said the future maybe you want to talk about our show our next one that's happening on monday at 10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern mm-hmm. anything you want Heath pierce No, it's only that,
2: you know, we're talking about Christian Pulisic at Chelsea making a move this summer. Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig making a move this summer. If you think back four or five years from now, we would have just been happy that they were at those clubs and to know that we have these players at a young age, not even close to their peak. Having the opportunity to find the next right club for them, I think we are are spoiled at the moment. It's only going to get better, but I just want to put that into perspective for people who think it's dire. This is far better than what we've ever had, and it's only getting better.
0: No, I love that. Positivity. Charlie, you're up.
1: Yeah, I, I loved um, I love my boy Heath. Even though if he's gonna go on on a rant for a question, he's <laughs> you know we love you. Um, I was on
2: a runaway train. I didn't know what my question was gonna be. You <laughs> know? I just I just wanted him to pick it up and run. And he's just a hey, like, nice guy. You, you we're
1: here to help. You know, I think I think I think Jimmy was able to just put it all together for you. <laughs> yeah, um, well, you know, I, I think what I what I took away from it was um, James is just confidence. England think they they've already won the group and and if the fans think that you have to imagine the players have a have a sense that we're the top dogs in this group and we're going to win. You love that. If if you're an American going into this group, you love that. You want to play when people feel a little bit comfortable. Harness that. So, uh, it's just more motivation and more fuel for this young group of players. Not that they ever thought they this was going to be an easy task, but man, this is this is the World Cup you want to play in.
0: I can't wait for Iran to take points off of them in that first game, by the mm-hmm. way. And then the three lions will be crying some tears and they're going to have to beat us. And we're like, eh, we'll just sit back and absorb, hit you on the counter or set piece. And hey, hate. it's Very one
2: much. big controversy away. That team's one big controversy I, I away from crumbling.
0: I agree. And that's, that's what I think plays to our advantage, assuming we take that advantage. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get into some more England talk. Uh, we're going to have some of our friends from the UK and different, uh, varieties of life come on the show and give us some more insight, especially getting that kind of fan perspective, that the temperature of how the fans are really feeling. And maybe we can break through that confident wall a little bit and see if there's any insecurity lurking inside of them that they could lose to the U.S. And if that's the case, they have to call it soccer from here on out. And speaking of that, that is the end of in soccer. We trust. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you on Monday, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, or anytime you want to listen to your podcast, we're here for you. Thank you so much for your support. Later.